You know, Pat, for a master thief, you sure do keep a lot of daytime hours. Yeah, it's true, eh? You're almost legitimate, and it's nagging at you a bit, I gotta say. People seem to be recognizing you more. Where before those people who recognized you were not the sort to say anything, now you seem to be somewhat of a neighborhood figure. Instead of known, you are recognized. Huh. Just makes my life a little more difficult. Or easy. Well, I mean, especially having spent all those times cultivating such a gray man image. It was a little disconcerting, and then it was a little thrilling, and now it's a bit of a hassle. But, seeing as how you haven't done anything untowards, and you don't remember how long, not since you got back from the dream, and considering that the dream was years and years of lawlessness, there really was no crime you could commit. It's been a while. That said, you've been enjoying the comfort of your new residence. Yeah, it's empty. It's a lot emptier than the greenhouse was. But it's yours, and it's in really good shape, and it's a good house, Ben. You know, they uh, did really good work back then. Solid, solid houses, right? Like, this place has been lived in, it's got character, and uh, you are actually starting to like the idea of having a, your own house. I mean, it's been shitty apartments and rooftop greenhouses for you since you left Malins, right? True. You're almost home. You've managed to keep to the covered streets because, well, it is the winter and the rains have come. This year, it seems a lot more ferocious than usual. You're standing there on the edge of the bright spot because Lost Acre happens to face onto a plaza. There's a bit of buster infrastructure and some catwalks higher up amidst the towers. But here, you know, you can, you can see the sky if you look straight up. Unfortunately, it also means that on days like today, there's nothing to stop the rain, which is pouring down in sheets, so much so that the streets are more or less canals. It's a good idea to stick onto the boardwalks. You got to Bagelman's. The bagels are still warm in that in their paper bag, but got 50 yards to traverse, and you're probably going to get soaked. Well, unless you can figure out how not to. That won't do. We'll have to uh, move a little quickly, I think. Yeah, I'm going to do the thing. Very good. And so, having spent so long in the dream where what you could do was limited by what you could imagine, coming back to the material has been comforting. Your time away let you get really good at doing certain things. And this is one of them, because... Dear listeners, with that, Arabet, if you don't mind, wraps up the bag, places it in his coat. Now, his walk hasn't kept him entirely dry. There are beads of moisture on the thick wool of his pea coat. But as he buttons it up over the cooling bagels, he flicks his collar and sends a few drops flying. Once his collar's up and his coat is closed, Arabet sets his feet and explodes into motion and everything slows down now they say that it is impossible to be in more than one place right like you can't be in more than one place at the same time 
This is mostly true. As we know with magic, nothing is impossible. It's just very, very improbable or very, very difficult. And as it turns out, being in more than one place at the same time is very, very easy if those places are very, very close together. And so you shift yourself just fractional micrometers into several different places about the same spot and explode into motion. The result is that you flow between the raindrops like the wind through a screen. The padding of your footsteps across the six inches of water that fills the courtyard and pours to the harbor down the streets. Splish, splash, splish, splash. It is machine gun fast to the unenhanced watcher. As the camera switches back and forth between regular speed and arabet speed, we see you come to a halt outside of the door. Now, there's a little vestibule on your doorstep. And you stop there. The camera switches to inside, where a young woman turns around and startled drops her purse as Arabet just suddenly materializes in the doorway. I uh, grab that purse um, before it hits the ground. Well, you catch it with your foot and flick it back up to where you can catch it with your hand and hand it to her. It seems you uh, dropped this. Welcome to Runelanders. I'm Matt Adam, your host and friendly neighborhood dungeon master, and so it's my job to let you know that Runelanders contains coarse language and things that might offend sensitive listeners, and so listener discretion is strongly advised. Now, if that sort of thing is your sort of thing, then dig, if you will, the mysteries, magic and mayhem, which follow a felonious fellowship's forays from salons and saloons into parlors of power and places unknown in, around, above, and beneath Byzantine Bailey Mina. Having returned from an autumn spent lost in the dream, will our fiends survive the winter in the city of steel and steam? We could tell you all about it, but we'd rather show you. We're the Runelanders. This is Rapscallions. So get ready, runatics. And let's roll. I can't stand the rain against my window, bringing back sweet memories. Yeah, when the rain, do you remember? Delilah and Shakir, it has been a bad winter this year. It, uh, as soon as it turned, it started to rain and rain hard. And the rain has gotten like that thick sleetiness that it so rarely gets. That happens more and more. It's to the point now where crews have to occasionally de-ice the buster tracks. And uh, they've just kept the trains running all day and all night now. The result of this sleeting 
freezing rain is that the greenhouse in which you sit, while still cozy and warm, is coated with a thick layer of ice. It blots out all of the detail of the city around you, while still providing every bit of the light. The plants within are shrinking away from the windows because they're cold, but the atmosphere inside is still warm and lush, thanks to the radiant in-floor warm water heating. It's breakfast. And uh, you're both looking at the broadsheets and munching your way through some croissants and jam. There's various fruits and breakfast foods, all descriptions. And you're taking it easy spread out on the furniture. Over to you. Huh. It says here they called the Lantern Ghost. Really? Did they say who it was? Yes. It turns out that the terror uh, who has been marauding around the styles and other districts of the evenings all autumn is just some schmo. Lovage, by name. I don't know. For all this to be just some kid, it seems a little neat to me, doesn't it, to you? This is not really my area of expertise, but it does seem it could be that nice and neat, but I have no idea where this is. And so probably the sort of place where you can get nice, neat justice is not there. That's a safe assumption. Now, I know I know police work, but I ain't no detective. I feel like maybe we should get somebody else in on this. Let me guess. Your favorite. That's right. You know, the problem with him thinking he's the smartest man in the room all the time is most of the time he is. Hang on. Let me see that paper you've got. Shakir will hand it over. She frowns at it a little. Says here that Sergeant Yuta's the one that figured this out. That's strange. Someone you know? Not for a long time now, but she was the only person ever worked under my father that he had any real hope for. I know time changes people, but I don't like thinking she'd be on the take. Well, that is immensely reassuring. It still doesn't smell like Bailey Mina. However, if you were going to get a straight answer, you could probably get one from her, Delilah. That's, that's a good point. Come on, let's go see if we can find Bet and maybe Calder. Stick our noses into stuff. Calder's got a good long nose. Ali will <clears throat> cough and then probably realize as well that she is dripping all over the carpets and kind of look a little apologetic at the same time. Oh, well, don't worry about it. Uh, around here, well, the Nigels haven't been in to clean up in a while. The Nigels? Um, a kind of staff that, uh, yeah, Master Calder, he 
Yeah, I, I can't explain. Well, with all due respect, Mr. Arabet, I don't think they're doing a very good job. Anyway, I, I digress. I, uh, you wish to speak with me? Um, yes. I've come to seek your help, uh, as it is. I've heard you're the sort of person that will get things done. For the little people, that is. Well, um, that's interesting. I do concern myself with the little people. This is correct. I'll get to the point. I'm from the styles, and, well, my name's um, Eleanor. I don't know if you heard um, anything at all about the recent slight of murders. Oh, the lantern goes. Yeah, they strung the guy up. Um, you'll see Eleanor's face, like, drop uh, as you say that. Um, she'll put her head down and go, yes. And then she'll take a deep breath and look up, like, straight into Arabette's face, privatize a couple of tears in her eyes. Um, and just like with determination, we'll just say, they got the wrong person. The number of times you've heard somebody say that while you were cooling it in the tank overnight, bet. Roll insight. With advantage. Straight up 10. Well, thankfully, she's telling the truth. And so it's not hard to see. Uh, I think a 10 will suffice in this case. Yeah, she's being legit. She is telling you the truth. There's nothing dissembling about her posture. There are none of the ticks which tell you that she's lying. So either she's from the Herald's Guild and she's very, very good, or she's a tea mistress and she's very, very good, or she's telling you the truth. Why do you say they got the wrong guy? I wouldn't have surprised me they get the wrong guy all the time. Uh, from what I understand, the, the circumstances were pretty straightforward for to decide that the person should pay the ultimate price. Too straightforward, if you ask me. Um, but the reason I say they got the wrong man was because the person they killed was my brother. Oh. Well, my condolences. It's not your condolences that I came here for, Mr. Arabet, but help in clearing his name and catching the real killer. I see. I see. Please, sit down. Have a bagel. Some coffee is coming in a second. I will be right back with it in the paper. Thank you. And she'll, um, if, did you say there was hooks in the room? Then she'll, like, take off her wet coat and what, probably a scarf over her head and hang them up on a hook and then take a seat where she's been indicated and probably munch very hungrily at the bagel. <laughs> now, from where you live at Reefram's down in the styles, like Reefram's is a nice place and he cuts you a deal because uh, he was a cousin to your mom back in the day and, well, he's family, so of course he's not going to charge you much. And Reefram keeps a nice spot, but it's nowhere near as posh as this. Uh, thick carpets on the floor. It's the place, well, it's falling over, just looking around. There's, there's, Reefram's is cleaner, for one, even if it's not as fancy, but uh, this is the sort of place that you would imagine needs a staff. It's, uh, 
impressive, like 20 foot ceilings and crown moldings and great big walk into them size fireplaces on the main floor with this beautiful balustrade and banister, which chased the stairs up curvingly to the second floor, which is all beautiful and curvaceous in terms of its internal lines. The place was built by the Dirish, so it's all 10 feet tall, the doors anyway. So just like amazing joinery, quality workmanship. This place was built when Bailey Mina had one level. So it's at least 200 years old and it doesn't look much the worse the wear for all of it. An impressive spot, if a little uh, bachelor-esque to be blunt. Yet he sits you at this table in a seat which is carved well the back of the seat is carved in a flames motif the pad is comfortable enough but the construction of the chair itself is rather spartan you will notice looking around this table that there are a few different styles of chairs and each one of them appears to have been customized for who sits in it this place is it's beautiful I've never been anywhere quite this posh before, though, you understand. Posh, eh? Uh, yes, well, uh, there are many places much more posh than this around us. I've been in a few. don't think I could imagine it. don't know if you've ever been to the styles, but it's, well, not the nicest of places. So it's home. I've been around the styles, never in around and uh i don't envy you your living conditions that's for sure i uh i grew up here in the copper penny room what was it like growing up here oh i didn't grow up in here in this house i grew up on copper penny row on the street you see i was uh working for thrasher at the time so you understand then what it is to have nobody to particularly help you or, well, care about you. Which brings me to my other point that I mentioned earlier of too fast. Nobody cares that much about the styles for things to, well, go that fast. I'm just looking at the paper here and they, uh, they certainly decided overnight uh, on who, who, on the exact circumstances, and the trial seems to have been, well, a travesty. But uh, that's not unusual for Bailey Mina. I, uh, I digress, though. I really mean to say, yes, I, I can look into this if you, if you wish. You understand, though, that if the authorities are covering this up, it won't be safe for you to return to the styles for quite some time. Yes, I thought about that. To be honest with you, with my brother gone, I have no real need or desire to go back. Tell me about your brother. <clears throat> she, she smiles. He was a good man. Truly, he was. He wouldn't hurt a soul. He, he worked hard, hard. We, we both did. And, well, he looked after me and I looked after him. He needed it. After Ma and Dad died, well, I was the only one around to take care of him. I wasn't really 
you know, clever enough to look after himself. <laughs> She'll put her head down again and just kind of stare at the lap. So he's not the criminal mastermind? <laughs> oh, goodness, no. What, uh, what was his job, yes? He worked the boats, whichever ones he could, as a labourer. Well, there would be quite a bit of business for that down in the stalls, especially if you're willing to get a little mucky. And he was. He would take on any job that he could. He was a good worker. He made a little bit of a name of himself for it, as you can in those parts. True enough. He was always the first off the hiring dock when he'd show up in the morning. He was dependable and everybody knew it. Just nobody would ever take him on full time. Nobody could afford it. And Arabet, there's another thing that you notice. When you say, if you don't mind getting a little mucky, there is a flash on her features, like, and how would you know? But it's only for a second. And then she pulls herself back together. So where would you begin? Is there anything else you need to know? As I said, there was a, well, another killing since Yami died. There's been another killing since they executed your brother? Yes. Of course, you probably won't hear about it. Tell me, who's the officer investigating? Sigrid Utah, yes. I see. I don't know this person at all, but... Uh... I have connections that can figure out just how corrupt this officer is. If they're corrupt at all, they probably are. Where did you live? Cousin Reefram's house. He's a, he was a healer. Okay, that'll be good to know. And uh, my, my next question is, where was he found? Your brother. Well, this is the bit that's going to sound, well, suspicious, but he was caught red-handed. There, with the lantern, the knife, covered in blood, the body, everything that was needed. He says he had no idea how he got there. But he, he just couldn't have... He couldn't have done it. He said he didn't remember how he got there. Yeah. Where did they take him? When they arrested him, where did they go? Hopner's asylum. To the asylum, so they believed that story. and They were convinced that he was an insane risk rather than a criminal, so to speak. The murders were quite, well, not normal. I suppose they thought it would have to be an insane person to do what the lantern killer apparently did. Yes, but there was no complaint about your brother working in those in that time period, right? Not that I'd heard. And he came home regularly? Yeah. And as I said, in, in all honesty, if he had done it, he'd have been caught the first time. I understand, I understand. Okay. Then there's no option. You'll have to stay here while we 
have to. Well, I would suggest it because if you were to return home, someone might take it in their contrary interest that you have engaged me. Ah. Again, she looks down at her hands in her lap, which is kind of twiddling, and you'll notice that she has like calluses across her fingertips on well, both of her hands, like they're quite calloused. And um, she thinks for a while, and then she looks at you and goes, Okay, but only if you let me clean the place up a little bit. Oh, it's actually not necessary. You would be my guest. Please. Yes, you can keep yourself busy any way you wish here. I, I just suggest not walking the streets because, uh, unfortunately, there are some near-to-wells who are uh, interested in anyone I'm acquainted with, and they might scoop you as well. You'd be safest here in the house. You do seem to attract trouble. Some say I asked for it. At uh, 1500, Master, you're expected at the warehouse as there will be a whole shipment of new acquisitions in. Nigel, Nigel and Nigel have made the OS docks available for you and blacked out the windows so that you may have privacy to work comfortably. After that, you have second luncheon. Um, a bunch of correspondences have come in in the last few days and I expect that I shall have them collated for you shortly after second luncheon, but maybe as late as first tea. Is that acceptable to you, Master? Indeed, it is most acceptable. Thank you, Nigel. Absolutely, sir. Um, well, that would be all. If you have no more need for your breakfast, we'll clear it away. Yes, I, I think that shall do nicely. I, uh, I do have time to uh, pop by the Lost Acre before the warehouse, yes? Absolutely, sir. Expect, in fact, you're expected for coffees with Mr. Arabet. Oh, quite presently, in fact. Well, then, I guess I shall be on my way. Excellent, Nigel. Thank you so much, and I shall see you upon my return. Sir Nigel and Nigel have had your coat cleaned and folded for you. Um, shall we unwrap it? Will you be taking the streets, or will you be travelling comfortably this morning? Oh, I think after that breakfast, a bit of comfort is in order. So I think uh, this subterranean approach uh, shall be my choice today. Uh, and there's that real click that this particular Nigel does so well. And uh, we Nigel, Nigel the smaller and big Nigel go running off to make the door ready. Um, uh, Nigel, sorry, before you leave, uh, would you do me the favor of preparing a pipe? Sir, it would be my pleasure. Would you like the Karnakin or the Paraduan? Mm, I think uh, I think this is a Paraduan sort of day. Very good, sir. Um, yes, it does feel rather <laughs> with all this rain, eh? Indubitably. Out of nowhere, Nigel hands you your pipe, which is an accomplishment because this pipe fits your hand. Now, uh, it fits your hand a little too well sometimes, as in last night over Benjuka, brilliant Tuke. Yeah, as uh, as Calder uh, nods his thanks and takes his pipe and he stands up, he feels a little twinge from uh, 
the overexertion and pleasantries of last evening, uh, an indulgent one, but a uh, good time spent with good friends. So uh, no, no regret, but uh, you know, it's, uh, he's not a youngling anymore. And uh, every now and then his body reminds him of that. Well, this is a mild cannabis and tobacco blend meant to take the edge off um, an evening just such as last night. So earthy, right? You, uh, you savor it as you open the door. Now, this door is an impressive bit of uh, construction all in and of itself. It's a vault door, which I don't know how you got that down the stairs, and I wish you had done it while I was around, but none of my business, I suppose. You are due your own privacy. Still, it would be a neat trick to see done. One of these days, I'm sure you'll tell me. Taking a long uh, haul off his pipe and uh, making sure that he has his coat well situated on his person, he strides off uh, into the darkness, the welcoming and warm darkness of his tunnels underneath Bailey Mina on his way to Repscalia Manor. And as the smoke trails through the door, we see it close and the big pins snap into place to keep it that way. It glows faintly with the arcane lock effect that you've had installed. And that, once that fades, you can see the edges of the path laid out for you by your Nigels and an enterprising young rat farmer who you understand is called Raffin. Raven's a notable sort. His name has come across your desk. He is the chief farmer from whom you buy your stock for the Dancing Rat Venture. Indeed. Indeed. Useful fellow to have around. And uh, one of your other, like, one of your more legitimate ventures, in fact. While taking a moment to acclimatize myself to the darkness down here, I uh, continue to puff on my pipe as I'm starting to feel its uh, medicinal effects and somewhat rejuvenated. I start on a lovely and certainly not strenuous stroll at all. This is uh, sort of a morning constitutional on my way to my next appointment. And as I do this, my uh, my thoughts roll back to the previous evening and the uh, the uh, somewhat amusing but also revealing conversation I had with uh, the Misters Burley and Took. The camera goes back in that remembering way that it does. Things get fuzzy for a second, and when they focus, there's the uh, heavily skildic bent of the decor in Calder's underground lounge. It's the one where you do most of your smoking and considering and lying around, you know, well, you know, comfortably. You don't let many people in here, but lately the uh, boys from the shop have stopped by a few times and it seems to be the place that you most regularly meet with Burley and Toot. And last night, well, as the camera fades in, we see you and Toot sitting across from each other with Burley sitting off to one side. In front of you, there are like shot glasses that hold about five ounces of whiskey and on the center of the table there is a bottle of whiskey and Nestor as usual says nothing both of his elbows are leaning heavily on the table and his feet swing high above the floor because in order to sit at a table with you he had to have another chair to get into his chair all the same this is shot number five and he's not budging Calder well, you know, the river folk are legendary for their hardiness in many ways. I suppose this should not be much of a surprise. Master, are you sure, mate? He's a fucking dragon, mate. And with that, saying nothing, Bald Took just shakes his head, knits his brows together, and nods at his shot glass. 
Gentlemen, I'm more than pleased to toast with you, but do know while I can appreciate the uh, beauty and splendor of this divine draft. Uh, the effects of it uh, certainly are not none, but uh, rarely include the more pleasant ones. Uh, so I have uh, my own alternatives, but surely uh, one more toast, the three of us. Burley's sitting there, takes a look and shakes his head. Nah, not for me. I'm uh, I'm happy to celebrate your health and all, but I'd like to continue mine. One more kill me, I'm out. And that's when Nestor looks at the bottle and looks at you and nods at the bottle. It's your turn to pour. Well, I uh, pour right almost to the uh, to the brim for Nestor, and I hover the bottle over Mr. Burley's glass and raise an eyebrow. That's the intent, anyway. Let's see what the dexterity save says. <laughs> uh, 15 plus 1 for a total of 16, sir. Yeti is the judge. The bottle hovers while Took picks up his heaping glass and uh, Burley just waves it off. A shade of puce. You haven't seen him. <laughs> I uh, I actually laugh, uh, but uh, with a with some sympathy there too. Then I uh, I top mine up as as high as uh, as I did uh, Tukes, and um, I uh, hold up my glass. I wait a moment, and then you see me kind of catch myself as I realize that Nestor Tuke is not going to give a toast. It's funny you should mention high because now it's time for a Constitution save. Thirteen plus five, eighteen. Nope. It hits you all at once like a brick, as if you, as anybody who's drank too much in a sitting position and then stood up to take a pee will tell you, this can frequently have deleterious effects on one's balance. So as you raise your glass up, there is a sudden rush and the world goes sideways and you're sure that all the lights, like the light and darkness in the room has reversed for a minute as though the lanterns are pleasantly darkening the room out of total brightness. Nestor looks to the right, looks to the left, puts his shot down and by the midway to the second tap of the shot glass on the table, you have a blink, and when your eyes manage to focus, what seems to be several minutes later, but is in fact like split seconds, the light has resumed its normal quality. I I do I do apologize. This is some truly remarkable spirits. And I bow to your great wisdom, Mr. Burley. Perhaps I too have uh, extended myself beyond my abilities. All of this you say in your most fluid, like this comes flowing out of you like the, you know, apology and, and goodwill and all the sentiment behind it. Everything that you mean comes out, but neither Burley nor Tuke speaks Skillic. And so they just kind of watch you with their faces um, set in that way like you would in a stiff wind because the sound that fills the room is a little pressing on them. They are just river folk after all. Saudara kabarbaik. Quite alright. Listen, um, are you about ready to go, Nestor? That's when Nestor took well, he lets you have it. He sandbags you, really. He tells you what was it? Like, if, what? If you were any kind of philanthropist You'd have started in the styles instead of somewhere easy like Copper Penny Road. And that's where it all blew up. 
it was almost more surprising that we had our first fight like that. Yet, in the end, edging out by the narrowest of margins, the surprise that Nestor Took has a voice and knows how to use it with such vigor and aplomb had to be the greatest surprise of the night. It was mad too, right? <laughs> like, wow, you heard it. Uh, indeed I did. And the most curious thing, as I continue to make my way through the tunnels, thoughtfully puffing on my pipe and mulling over, rolling over the words that he said and undoubtedly ring true, I note not only that I should not be surprised that such a craftsman, such an artisan who makes such brilliant beers and spirits would have such passion. But even now, and maybe it was, maybe it was the whiskey, maybe it was the pipe, but I can remember his words, but I, I cannot remember his voice. But indeed, he was correct. And while I mounted uh, or attempted to mount what turned out to be a feeble defense about, you know, perhaps you should speak to the current inhabitants of the Lost Acre. I believe they would take umbrage with your sharp invectives, sir. In the end, he was, when you're right, you're right. And while the people of Lost Acre are better off and while the river folk now have homes, that doesn't change what's happening in the styles. And it's easy to look away and it's even easier to pretend that it doesn't exist. So, you know, when when I finally came to my senses and I told Nestor that he was right, something that made Burley almost choke on the cool glass of water Nigel had fetched for him as we brought our evening to a close, Nestor made a request of me, something that something I'm going to take care of right now. He told me of a, a tragic story of a young girl in desperate need from the styles. Now, not only was Nestor right, but it occurs to me that while there are many things I am, I may not be the best person to help with this problem. And as I arrive at the end of this particular path to another secret subterranean door that opens into the basement of Rapscallion's Manor, I think how lucky I am, how very lucky I am to know a man like Arabet, and that I, I know that he will be able to help. Unfortunately, Arabet hasn't installed a proper sized door for you to get dressed inside, but there has been an appropriate adaptation of the sidewalk here. There's a little alcove cut in anyway, and it's more than enough to get your tail away from the water so that when you put the coat on, there's room. All the same, it's a human sized door. Whatever, it's his house, right? What's well, a direish sized door, but still, it's a little tight. Pausing in the alcove, you take the package out from where you'd been holding it between your growing wings and pull the paper off your long, dark violet leather trench coat. And as you shake it out to its full length, you hold it up in front of you and a fool can see that this would never fit. But still, you point the fingers of your left hand and start to put them into the sleeve. Now, it would be unsafe for us to watch this directly and so I must, alas, turn the camera away, dear listeners, lest I damage your sight. With the bright blue light, which now bathes the wall, and in which you can see the shadow of a great serpentine dragon morph into that of a tall, handsome half-elf. And when the camera looks, Calder checks his reflection in a mirror, which he has conjured from a spray of all things. As the mist dissipates, he turns to work the lock. Arabet. Yes? That coat makes a hell of a lot of noise downstairs. 
Ellie's just off to use the facilities. It might be good to catch him and let him know what's going on. Arabette will slide down the banister. Into the basement, which still holds the wrought iron cage originally designed as a rat trap, but which Calder now occasionally uses as a spare bedroom. The laboratory has been all set up here, including the large chair with all of the straps, reclining bits. Beyond that, there is a couple of shelves which are chock full of books and jars and containers of all sorts, scrolls. Behind those is a short hallway, to which there is a direish-sized door. Calder? You throw the door open, and there he is. Good morning. I believe it's time for coffee. Uh, yeah, we already got into that. Uh, I have a guest here that you need to speak with. Calder is clearly crestfallen. Um, is there a coffee left? Oh, yeah, there's coffee left. I just meant it's been made and been drunk. There is leftovers, though, yes. Yeah, I didn't drink at all. Yeah, so upstairs. Uh, you ready? Yes, indeed. In fact, I have, uh, I have a matter to discuss with you as well. Oh, well... Before this other matter, unless it's absolutely urgent, I've got this thing down in the styles that I've got to take care of. That's why I want you to talk to this person upstairs. Did you say the styles? Yeah, you know the place? Not as well as I should, my friend. Not as well as I should. Hey, you don't want to know the place, man. It's really not a place to be visiting anyway. Not for your class of gent anyway, that's for sure. I mean, it's a cesspool. I have, uh... Recently, we made aware that it is perhaps exactly the sort of place that my sort of person is uh, perhaps needed, if not desired to attend. Anyways, onward. I need coffee, and I need to listen to uh, how I can help you. Well, it's not me. It's uh, Eleanor Lovage. Lovage, like Jeremy? Yeah, yeah. Uh, his uh, sister. I guess he got uh, the big gallows. I read that this morning. Something about it doesn't sit right with me. Yeah, something doesn't sit right with me either. Uh, this is a guy who was a murderer. Like, not even in the biz. Woman over by the hearth talking to Calder dissolves into tears. Inconsolably, perhaps the kitchen would be the better place for this. Yeah, ma'am, the kitchen. Yeah, let's join Shakir. Shakir, since you're the first one in the kitchen, you're the first one to see that the place has, uh, first off, it's a very well equipped kitchen. However, the thing that sticks out is that on the kitchen table, most of this morning's broadsheets have been uh, laid out, and there are a few of them tacked to the wall. There's also a notepad with a lot of scribbles that you're not sure are actual Catherine runes, because they're... Sl okay, they are. His handwriting's just really sloppy. You get the tea out, put the kettle on, and this assemblage of papers, you have no idea what this means right now but if you want to make an arcana check actually what's your passive arcana um zero so ten 
Yeah. Yeah, you're going to need to roll. Uh, that's a 12. What's your base intelligence? 10. Yeah, this is, uh, you have no idea. This looks like a pile of papers that, like, somebody's arranged them just so. It, it might be an art project. It could just be, like, sifting through the garbage for something. But somehow you get the sense that somebody has done this on purpose and that this arrangement is meaningful by some description. And you're sitting there trying to puzzle it out when Delilah and Arabet join you from the sitting room. Arabet, you took the liberty of getting a copy of all of the Bailey Mina broadsheets to read up everything you could about this because it was going to be a while before Delilah got here and uh, Calder's better at talking to people who are upset anyway, right? It's true. So what I got gathered so far, if you notice on the wall there, is that uh, there were uh, six months of this ghost killer being active and they hung brother two days ago after a quick in and out trial you know and this brother he's he's a dock worker he works in flotsam he lives in the neighborhood and yet they've had all these murders and they just picked him up a week ago good point bet if he's that slow how did it take him that long to catch him if that's the case, and he is as slow as he claims to be, like he's no criminal mastermind by any stretch of the imagination. There's sensationalist articles right and left about this guy. Uh, nobody claims that he's any sort of criminal mastermind, especially not his sister. So if he is as represented, then why did the Lantern Ghost get away with it for six months? I mean, the way they found this guy... He took no precautions, okay? Like, no precautions. The blood splatter itself all over him. I mean, he, he you know, he looks as guilty as sin for a murder. So they, they tried him for all the murders, not that they can link him to any of, of the other ones. Like, literally, it's this is a one-and-done shot, right? And to me, this guy, he seems as set up as set up can be. Delilah. Yes. You are a perceptive sort, unless I miss my guess terribly. You would be correct. And so it is amongst this whole mishmash, this papers and broadsheets and lines drawn in red ink from paper to paper, uh, highlights. You're looking at it and it's it kind of looks like some kind of... So somebody's trying to make a pattern out of this. This is wicked smart. Way smarter than I ever thought he was, to be honest. I think this is maybe bigger than we thought. Oh, it's very interesting because you see, I think the setup is much higher up than this. You see what I'm saying? Like, they wanted a closed case. And they took the first suspect that fit the, the bill and used that to close it right away. Well, that's Bailey Mina top to bottom. You don't have to be a genius to figure that out. So it looks good in the broadsheets. Every broadsheet here is happy. And you know what? They got their, their brand of justice out of this, right? They took some poor schmuck who works on the docks and flotsam. Like he works in flotsam. You know, they hung him high two days ago. 
And the sisters asked you to clear his name? Essentially, yeah. I, I don't know what her game is or if she's really the sister or if we're just being set up out here to do somebody else's work. I don't know if the fix is in. But however this machination has got us here and whoever this guy was, right? He's a dock worker and I feel for him. He's, he's our kind of people. Let me talk to the sister. I always had a better sense of people than you. Only one real stain on my record there. No, you have an excellent sense of people. Either way, though, I think it's probably time we pay you to visit, too. See if she remembers her old teacher's niece. Is that going to be safe for you? Yes, it will be. And then Delilah does that thing where she just shifts her posture slightly and uh, tilts her head, and she looks like somebody else entirely. I think I'll manage. Runelanders is recorded live and curated, produced, and edited by me with indispensable help from Cassie Goodwin-Harrison, Matthew Harrison, Chris Stockavaz, Greg Sednick, and Carrie Copley. All the usual people played all the usual parts, and if you want to know more about them, you can find out all about them, all about the little Easter eggs that I scatter through these episodes, and so much more at runelanders.com. Watch for our vastly improved website coming up soon. That'll about do it for this episode. Next time on Moonlanders, we're gonna have some wicked awesome fun. You have to check it out. We'll see you then. I'm DM Matt Adams. I'm DM Goodbye. Reminding you to roll high and don't die. Until next. Take good care.